So I wanted to talk about the redeeming power of God, because we've got a situation where redemption is, is what we want to grab hold of. We want to grab hold of the redeeming power of God. We have a difficult circumstance. We want to see this circumstance redeemed for God to bring something good out of it. And we want that for us, you know, the church, Good Hope Church. We want that for the individual uh, who did this damage because I believe God has a good plan for him. And I'll talk about that maybe just a little bit more as time goes on. But the question is, is Romans 8.22 true or not? So let me go to Romans 8.22. It's a very famous verse, read quite a bit, quoted quite a bit. Uh, and actually could be misunderstood, but uh, something that we have to ask ourselves, do we actually believe this or not? So Romans 8, 28 in the 2011 NIV, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So there's so many different ways that verse can, you know, be specifically put together. This one I believe is a pretty accurate way of translating that from the Greek. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean that God is doing all the things, but God is working with you in all the things to bring something good out of it. And that's what I'm basically meaning when I'm talking about God redeeming the situation, bringing something good out of a difficult situation, something good for the church, something good for the individual who did the damage, something good for the community and the faith community. That's what we're believing for. We're believing for something good to happen. Now, some people have asked me the question, you know, uh, why does this happen? Well, let me tell you, the, the Bible answers why these things happen. I'm going to go to 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 8, and it says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So, I firmly believe that the devil was trying to kill the person who did this and hurt us in the process. I was very worried uh, on Saturday when we didn't know where he was that something bad would happen to him, that he would not, you know, live through this incident. Um, and I was very worried about that. And then I found out he was in custody in the afternoon. I was very thankful for that because that meant he was in a safe place. And so uh, I believe the devil was trying to kill him and push him into something uh, extreme, and he's trying to hurt us in the process. And so the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And that's why things like this happen, because the devil's trying to hurt us. The devil's trying to hurt all of us, and we don't want to uh, cave into that. And hallelujah, we're still here. You know, a little building damage, we can come back from that. He's still alive, hallelujah. He can grab hold of redemption. Good things can happen for him. And I believe we're already in that process, you know. So, like, good things are coming. We believe, Romans 8, 28, that God works for the good of those who believe. 
even when the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we're believing for that. So this is how redemption works. You know, you're here, something happens and brings you here, but then God steps in and takes you here. That's how God's redeeming power is. You're here, goes to here, but the Lord brings you here. I believe in that for Good Hope Church. We are here, good things were going on, and this is a setback, this is rough. But guess what? God has already brought so much redemption for the church. I mean, there is so much goodwill, so many people reaching out, praying for, for us, for me, for the staff, for the congregation. There's been so many beautiful things that have happened. We've already seen tremendous redemption in this situation. We're believing for redemption with the individual involved. You know, like he was here, but then, then he got to this low spot, but then God is going to bring him up above that. And so I want to look at some examples in the scriptures of the redeeming power of God, how the Lord will bring uh, situations that, you know, turned bad into something good. And one of the things that's been pretty neat in at least the examples that I'm using, you know, there's lots of examples in the scriptures and we'll talk about uh, how to make sure that we access the good things of God towards the end of this. But in these examples that we're going to look at, not only was the person who had, who maybe was innocent or the victim of the situation, uh, did they see redemption, but also the people who did the wrong thing saw redemption. And that's how the Lord works. The Lord will bring redemption and good things both to the people, you know, who had the bad thing happen to them, but also to the people who did the bad thing. That's how God works. And so we want to grab hold of that. We want to grab hold of the fullness of that. We don't want to leave any redemption on the table. We want to take it all, receive all the good things from God for the church, uh, for Him. Let's all grab hold of it. So the first example we're going to go to is back in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50, we have the story of Joseph. Uh, if you know the story, you know that there were all these brothers uh, that were the sons of Jacob and Joseph, uh, you know, he had the dream about how, you know, his, his mom and dad and his brothers are all going to bow down before him. And, and so maybe he lacked a little bit of tact, but uh, his brothers thought, man, you know what, you little punk, you, you know, you're telling about all these dreams, you know, dad likes you and he gave you this fancy coat, you know, and they were all jealous. So they decided that they were going to uh, throw him in a pit, you know, so they threw him in a pit and they're like, should we kill him or what should we do? And they saw a, a caravan of Ishmaelites uh, going by and they're like, ah, let's just sell him into slavery, you know, and we'll pour blood on his coat. We'll take it back. Dad'll think he got eaten by some animal and uh, we'll just sell him into slavery. You know, that's what we'll do to this little punk. So they do that. Um, they don't kill him, but they sell him into slavery. And how many people think that's, th I mean, that's, that's rough. That's a bad thing. His brothers did a bad thing to him and he's now dealing with it. Uh, and he goes through all of these different things. You can read through the book of Genesis and read all the stuff that happens with Joseph. But one of the amazing things that happens is 
the Lord turns this around for good. Romans 8.28 happens in the story of Joseph way back a thousand years or so, uh, maybe longer, before uh, Romans is written, Joseph is experiencing that principle of God being with him in the trial and working it out for good. So what happened was there was a famine coming to the land. The Lord revealed that to Joseph who was put into a position of prominence in Egypt. So Joseph had the ability to tell Pharaoh, here's what you need to do. And so Joseph said, hey, we're going to save out 20% of everything, all the produce that comes in, all of the grain, so that we can last through these seven years of drought, seven lean years. We're going to make it through because we're going to save up the grain ahead of time. And so they saved all this grain. And then the famine hit uh, Joseph's brothers and his father, and they were um, they were starving and they found out there was grain in Egypt. So they came to Egypt and this is where we're going to pick it up there. You know, there was a lot of drama and that sort of a thing. But this is how Joseph frames it. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 50, reading verses 18 through 21. And here's how it goes. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. So the, the dream is coming to pass. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph was redeemed. He was made the, the number two person in all of Egypt under only Pharaoh. His life was redeemed. And then the brothers who had harmed him in such a horrific way were then redeemed as well. They were provided for. They intended it for harm, but God intended it for good and brought about the redemption of the family and the brothers and they were able to be provided for and God did a mighty work. Joseph was redeemed and his brothers were redeemed as well. This is how God's redemption worked. It's a win-win for everybody. The brothers are redeemed. Joseph is redeemed. Now, Let's go to Paul and Silas, to the New Testament, Acts chapter 16. Uh, Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. So Paul and Silas, they're on a missionary journey. They're bringing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who hadn't heard it. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and uh, they end up in jail. All they did was drive a demon out of a slave girl and, you know, because she was causing them some problems and, and so they cast the demon out. She lost her supernatural ability to predict the future. And so her owners were very upset because they weren't going to make any money off of that anymore. And so Paul and Silas are severely flogged. 
Now, this is the government that crucified Jesus, you know, that uh, that's how they handled that. These people are mad at that guy. All right, so let's just, you know, beat him up and crucify him, torture him to death. This is the culture. This is the government that did that. And they, it's recorded as they're severely flogged and thrown into the inner cell with their feet in the stocks. So did something unjust happen to Paul and Silas? Absolutely. So that's a serious problem. I'm sure Paul and Silas were not super happy with the jailer who had put them in the inner cell with their feet in the stocks. So we've got Paul and Silas are here. They're going on a missionary journey. They're going to check up on the, the churches and they're going to do some new work. And then now all of a sudden they're here. They're severely flogged. They're put in the center uh, cell in the prison with their feet in the stocks. They're in this spot. Then God redeems. Paul, uh, let's go to uh, Acts chapter 16. So we're going to start in verse 25. Acts chapter 16. Verse 25, let's see what happens here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. Then the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So, Paul and Silas, are redeemed. You know, God works for good in this terrible situation. The chains fall off, the prison door opens up. But what about the jailer who was unjustly holding them there, who had put their feet in the stocks? You know, and the jailers, you know, they don't always treat the prisoners, you know, well and for sure back then in a Roman prison. It wasn't fair. It wasn't nice. It was bad. So what happens to the jailer? The jailer, he sees the door open. He knows it's dark. The, the chains are off. So he's going to kill himself. He's like, well, you know, my boss is going to kill me, so I'm just going to do it first. And that would have been very literal back then. Um, he would have paid with his life. But then something amazing happens. Paul shouts, don't harm yourself, we are all here. So there's something amazing behind the scenes here. And that is, how did not only Paul and Silas handle this, but the other prisoners? Because it said that everyone's chains fell off. 
all the other prisoners, not just Paul and Silas's, all the other prisoners' chains fell off. And it's dark. Let me tell you, if I was in a Philippian prison 2,000 years ago, in a Roman prison in Philippi, and I didn't know what they're going to do to me, and the door opens and I got the opportunity to run out into the dark of night and escape, I'm running out into the dark of night and escape. But Paul, the only way I can figure it worked was the doors opened, everybody's chains fell off, and Paul knew there's a little bit more work to be done. We have seen the redeeming power of God. We were here, bad things happened, we ended up here, God's bringing us here. But he said, there's somebody else that needs our help. And so the only way I can see this happening is Paul shouts out in the dark, hey, everybody, everybody, stay here. I I know the door is open. I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay in the prison because there's someone we need to help. And that's the jailer. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. It's dark. How does Paul know everyone is there? I believe Paul said, if you've been listening and you've seen the power of God to open these doors, then you need to stay here. Don't you run out into the night. We've got somebody we need to help, and it's the jailer. And they all stayed so the jailer could not face the consequences of losing his prisoners, but instead the jailer could be redeemed. And the jailer falls on his knees and says, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So the whole household gets saved. They get baptized that night before Paul and Silas are even released. You know, like this is how the redeeming power of God works. It's not just Paul and Silas. It's the other prisoners. And it's not just Paul and Silas and the other prisoners. It's the jailer and his family too. We all get in on the good things of God, even in the midst of very harsh and difficult circumstances. I got one more example that I want to talk about today about the redeeming power of God. And this is in the life of Jesus himself. So if you're at all familiar with Christianity, you know that the cross represents the crucifixion of Jesus that he lived a sinless life that he lived to bring the good news of the gospel of G- uh, in the good news of the gospel to this world uh, in of his gospel to this world that he healed the sick that he drove out demons that he brought good things from god to this world and this world repaid that by torturing and falsely accusing and murdering him But this was all part of God's greater plan that the sins of the world would be paid for, redeemed by the sacrifice of the Son of God on the cross. So Jesus, you know, he's he's teaching, he's doing well. He ends up on the cross. But then, is that where he stayed? Absolutely not. This is all very succinctly described in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 31. We see the picture and we see all the different people who are redeemed in this situation. So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 31. 
Peter here is preaching on the day of Pentecost. There's been a lot of fancy stuff that's happened. Everybody's paying attention to what Peter has to say now. And so this is a piece of what he has to say. You can read the, the first few chapters of Acts to get a real good, clear picture of, of the context and everything that's going on here. But we're going to read 31 through 41 of chapter 2. So here we go. Acts 2, 31. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David uh, did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So Jesus, who was crucified, is made Lord and Messiah. He is brought up to the right hand of God. He is resurrected and he, he conquers death. You know, like this is a, it's a pretty big redeeming moment here. You know, Jesus wasn't destroyed by the cross but instead he is brought to lord and messiah you know he's the son of god already and he is uh, exalted to the right hand of god and his glory is shown to the whole world by his resurrection after the cross but that doesn't happen that way without the cross so god has a plan in the midst of it and jesus is made lord and messiah and the problem is, is the people that Peter's talking to are the ones who were shouting crucify 50 days before. They were shouting crucify. You know, we, he deserves to die. You know, let his blood, let the guilt of what happens to him be on us and our children. And so they're realizing like, oh no, we're the ones who had him crucified and he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. Like, now what do we do? They're the bad guys. They thought they were the good guys, but turns out they're the bad guys. So what happens here? Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children. And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 of the crowd that shouted crucify seven weeks before. 3,000 of them were redeemed brought from death to life, brought from condemnation to forgiveness, brought from separation from God into relationship with God. They were redeemed. It's not just Jesus. It's not just the apostles. It's the ones who had Jesus crucified that are redeemed too. This is how the redeeming power of God works. It's not just that Joseph is here, he suffers injustice, and then God lifts him up, works for good, because 
Joseph is trusting in God, but even Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery, who were going to kill him, they get redeemed and saved from famine and their whole families get saved and they're provided for in Egypt. God works for good for all of them. With Paul and Silas, they're thrown in prison and not just Paul and Silas redeemed, the other prisoners redeemed. And, you know, because I believe the church in Philippi, like a lot of the founding members of that church were the prisoners from that day in the Philippian prison. So I love to read the book of Philippians from that perspective. But also the jailer and the jailer's family are redeemed. And then, of course, we see Jesus. It's not just Jesus who is shown to be in glory, to be the Son of God, to be the Messiah, the Christ, to be who He is. It's not just that He is glorified, but that those who had Him crucified are forgiven and redeemed. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that if we put our faith in Jesus, if we love God through our difficult circumstances, that He will work for our good in the midst of them. And so I got, I got um, a few things I want to talk about here. Because I want you to put your faith in Jesus. I mean, it's just that simple. Um, faith in Jesus unlocks the power of God for forgiveness in your life. It unlocks the power of God for you to be forgiven of your sins and reconciled with God so you can walk through this life not an enemy of God, but a child of God. doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. No one is too low. This applies to all of us. Let's receive of the blessings and the goodness of the forgiveness of God. So faith in Jesus accesses the power of God in your life for forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. It also accesses the power of God for Him to work for your good in all situations and circumstances. And that we call abundant life in Christ now. Not that you necessarily get everything you want, you know, the brand new F-350 King Ranch. You're not necessarily going to get that. But let me tell you, you can have peace in the storm. You can walk into your place of business or your, your church after being gone on a sabbatical for three and a half months and you see it, the building is, is destroyed and you can have peace in the midst of that. That's pretty sweet. I never thought God has abandoned the church or God has abandoned me or why, Lord, would this happen? Like, I never thought any of those thoughts. I thought, well, we'll be okay. God's with us. And I hope the person who did this uh, is able to be safe and to know the love of God and can be rescued from the situation they're in. And hallelujah, I, you know, I got to pray with him within, you know, about... 48 hours, a little more than 48 hours from when I walked into this building, I'm on the phone praying with the guy who did it. That's just fantastic. That's abundant life now. Not that you necessarily get everything you want, but you can have peace in the storm. You can see joy and love and forgiveness and redemption day by day, moment by moment through all the hardships and struggles of life. That's abundant life. You get to live in the midst of that when you put your faith in Christ, because you know 
that he'll work for your good. Romans 8.28 will be active in your life and you can have peace in the storm. It's great. But it's not just reconciliation with God and forgiveness today. It's not just abundant life in this world here. It's also everlasting life in heaven with God. We get forgiveness of sins that accesses the afterlife glory of God for us. Jesus redeems your soul for eternity when you put your faith in Him. So, tell you what, you weren't meant to live a selfish, empty life and miss out on heaven. You are meant to be redeemed and brought into the love of God. You and me and Him and everybody. That's why Jesus died on the cross, so our sins could be forgiven, we could have abundant life now, and everlasting life in the paradise of God. One last question before we pray, but isn't God a God of justice? Isn't our God a God of justice? Well, yes, yes, He is. But He comes to justice in a very interesting way. Justice comes through forgiveness. Christ died on the cross to make things right. He paid the price. Justice needs to be done. So Jesus pays the price. It's like he does the prison time. He pays the fine. He, you know, dies, pays the penalty of capital punishment for the sins of the world and for you and me. So justice comes through forgiveness, but we only access that forgiveness by faith. If we refuse to trust in what the Lord has done, if we refuse to say, thank you, Lord, for uh, sacrificing for me, thank you for forgiving me, I, I want to know your ways and walk with you and learn to serve you and, and live your way. If we refuse to do that, then we get justice the old-fashioned fath- old way. And, it, and that's not what I want for you. Because forgiveness is accessed by faith. Trusting in the love of God to redeem you is what brings you into that redemption. So don't refuse the Lord's forgiveness. It's there. I don't want you to face the judgment that comes without being forgiven and redeemed by God. Next week, we're going to go to Romans 12, 21. We'll be talking about not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. You know, putting some of this stuff into practice and seeing it come to pass. But let's pray. Uh, I want to pray. I got a little bit of a list here. Uh, First, you know, I I really appreciate all the people who are praying for us. I want to pray for a quick return to our facility, maybe even an improvement. You know, you're here. Something bad happens. God redeems you to here. You know, we got some space issues, things like that, you know. So uh, maybe even this just opens the heart of the congregation to realize maybe a different situation where we have more space is going to be helpful because we're kind of hitting that space problem. Um, So let's believe for a quick return to our facility. Um, We're going to pray for the individual who did this. Like it's somebody that I care about that I think um, is a good person with problems who did some harm. It's not a bad person. Okay. You pray for him. You show love and kindness to him 
when you're talking to people, oh, no, you don't you go there. You just say, that's somebody Jesus loves. You know, we're going to pray for him. And then uh, I want to pray that the Lord would be glorified in all of this. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions about what Christianity is. And I don't really care about religion. I care about Jesus. But here's the deal. Um, the Lord needs to be glorified in this. And if we can show the heart of God for forgiveness and redemption through all of this, then hallelujah, I will take it. The last thing I want to pray for is, is for you. If, if you need to be reconciled with God, if you need to say, you know what, I, I need to believe in Jesus so I can be redeemed. I want to pray for you. So let's go after it. Let's pray. Let's open our hearts to the Lord. Heavenly Father, first, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy, your kindness and your love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for sacrificing on the cross so we could be redeemed. Lord, you were glorified in that and brought to the right hand of the Father. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and we honor and worship you. Lord, we praise your name. You are good. Father, for our our prayer requests, Lord, for good hope that we could get back to our facility in a timely manner and maybe even see something better on the other side. Lord, thank you for that. You redeem us beyond where we were before. Lord, we lift up the individual who, who did this damage, that you would take them into a, a greater experience of this life than they've ever had before. Knowing your love, knowing your power to redeem, being able to conquer darkness from this world, being free from all the torment and yuck and all the junk. Lord, let that, let that individual come into a place of peace and joy and redemption that can be shared with others. Lord, hallelujah. We thank you for that individual. We pray your blessings upon him. And Father, we pray that you would be glorified in all of this, that Lord Jesus, you would be glorified in this, that your goodness and your plan of redemption, your gospel would go forth through this. And with that being said, Heavenly Father, for those who right now, I pray you would, by your spirit, just impress on people's hearts, I need to be redeemed. I need forgiveness. I need to be reconciled to God. I need to believe in the Lord who would love others while they are still sinners so that we can become children of God and have everlasting life. Lord, for those who right now are thinking, I, I need that. I pray they would pray a prayer right now along the lines of Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son to pay the price for those who have sinned and failed you, that they can be redeemed. And I'm one of those. I need forgiveness. I need your kindness. I need to be redeemed. So Lord, I pray you would forgive me of my sins and lift me up, making me your child. Teach me your ways. Help me to walk in your ways and pour your spirit into my heart so I would not have fear and anxiety and bitterness and anger, but I would have joy and peace and love. So Father, I pray that you would uh, bring each one into that as they pray before you. And Father, help us all to stand strong, to trust in you, to know that you work things for good when we love you and we walk in your ways. So guide us in all of this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.